The idea you think we're going to pass a $30 trillion plan raising taxes on working class people and middle class people is just, at least Bernie's being honest about it. He's saying there's going to be a middle class tax increase. There's going to be an overall tax increase. We can get the same thing done quickly. Nothing incremental about it. That was former Vice President Joe Biden speaking at a town hall in Sparks, Nevada. We caught up with him just before the event to hear about his approach to California and message to the state's more progressive voters. As you're about to hear, things also got personal as we talked about his late son, Beau, and an offer he got from former President Barack Obama. According to Biden's campaign, this is his first interview of the 2020 election season with a California news outlet. Today on the California Nation podcast, we're bringing you our full conversation. I'm Brian Anderson. All right, enjoy the show. We are not going to have a circus here. But we just left pleasure for paradise. Can you please hug me? (laughs) Do not worry, Dutch is not here today. We, We clearly learned our lesson. These are not ordinary times. And this will not be an ordinary election. So how's it feel to be back here in Nevada? Feels good. It feels good. And it, uh, I feel good about Nevada. We're, we think we're organized well. We think we, uh, we still maintain lead here. We, we, we feel good about Nevada. And we start, we're from California. We ask every candidate, what personal ties, if any, do you have to California? Well, uh, I have a son and uh, a daughter-in-law living in California now. Uh, I have a lot of friends in California. I've been going to California for a long, long time. Got an awful lot of them. Endorsements in California, including a couple, three mayors today, but also, uh, you know, great friends like Diane Feinstein and Barbara Boxer and the governor. So I've had a lot of ties for a long time in California. One thing that people miss in California is Kamala Harris. What positions would you consider her for under your presidency? Anything she'd be interested in. Including vice president? <laughs> she's qualified to be president. She's, uh, she's, she's, I'd consider her for anything that, uh, that she would be interested in. The, big, the biggest thing you've made central to your campaign has been this argument about electability. But in California, it's a progressive state. The ideas of Medicare for all, free college tuition are popular. Why should voters pick you when some of their personal ideas might align better with a different candidate? Well, they shouldn't if they don't align with me, but uh, most do. Look at the polling data. Um, we're doing really well in California. And uh, look, uh, for example, Medicare for all. It's going to cost uh, $35 trillion, and it's going to rewrite the whole system. It's going to take four to ten years, according to the authors, to get it passed. I provide Medicare if you want it, and uh, we can afford it, and we can move quickly. And so uh, um, I'm finding, and I think you're finding, if you look at the polling data, the significant number of Democrats in California and across the country uh, support uh, uh, Medicare for, uh, excuse me, Medicare if you want it, and make sure everybody's covered without raising middle class taxes. And you've skipped out on two state party conventions in California as well as the I'd DNC summer out. meetings. No, no, let's get, come on, man. I haven't skipped out at all. What I've done is I was speaking to the LGBT community, which I found more important than showing up to your convention at the time. And secondly, where I was doing a, a, an event in Ohio when you set the second debate, uh, the, the second California convention. So I guess what I'm getting at is a lot of your events and appearances in the state so far have been L.A. and San Francisco, a lot of fundraisers. You're not alone, but 
What's your approach to winning California, and why have you been ignoring the middle of the state so far? Well, look, I mean, I, there's, a, there's a primary going on. There's one coming up in, uh, in Iowa, New Hampshire, here is a caucus in South Carolina. And uh, I've been, uh, I think I've probably been in California as much as any other candidate not from California. A quick note, we've been tracking presidential candidate visits to California and logging how often they visit the state and where they travel. Former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg has actually visited the state more often than Biden. We've got a link to that story in our show notes for you. Okay, back to the interview. And housing, affordability, homelessness, perhaps- Gigantic issue. Biggest I, issues in the state. What are you gonna do as president? Well, I'm gonna make sure that everyone qualifies for Section 8 housing. No one should pay more than 30% of their income to be able to be, have rent. I'm gonna make sure first-time home buyers are able to get a $15,000 down payment in federal government. I'm going to see to it that we invest an awful lot of money in providing housing and providing in addition to housing. I had a long talk with Mayor Garcetti today about that very issue, laying out our mutual housing plan. We have to invest a great deal of money. Housing should be a right for people. The idea that you have so many people on the street in California because of the increase in cost of housing, it is, it's just not right. And we're going to fully fund housing and we're going to make sure that there is everyone has access to, to section 8 housing no one should make, pay more than 30 percent of their income for housing do you believe there should be a right to shelter as new york yes has? yes i do and I, th I think another big issue in the state environment we've seen devastating wildfires across california one big question is whether or not to rebuild or not how would you sort of balance that as president with climate change in miami and other places does the federal government pay to relocate people or? Look, the federal government has, but we have a $1.7 trillion project. We have to get to zero, net zero emissions. And we have to start immediately in 2020. No, if, I mean, for real. If you go back and look, I'm the first guy to introduce a climate change uh, as an initiative back in 1987. PolitiFact says it was a game changer. I've been involved in this my whole career. Secondly, as the guy who ran the, the, the Recovery Act, which was over $900 billion, I was directing the investment of a billion dollars, driving down the cost of solar, driving down the cost of wind, and so it's now competitive with coal, and, we're, and we invested billions of dollars, the largest wind farms, the largest uh, solar farms in the country, in the world actually now. And so there's a lot we can do. And for example, first thing you got to do, first thing I do as president is rejoin an outfit I helped create, and that is the Paris Climate Accord, and bring everyone, everyone into it from, to the United States, whose members almost 200 nations, and have them up the ante. And by the way, Mayor Garcetti is a world leader in this. He's, 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 we're working with mayors all across the world. He is one of the guys I look to to help get that done. Endorse you today for... Well, no, it's not just that he's been a friend. He, I mean, he, he has endorsed me today, and I really appreciate endorsement. Beyond that, don't be so cynical. The fact is he has been way ahead on climate change, and, I, and uh, we've been able to get an awful lot done so far. But the first thing you got to do is recognize science. This president, the idea you rake and leaves in the forest, and, you know, it's not the way you're going to stop climate change. I think another big topic of discussion, I went to your LA rally, your first rally yep. here in California, and I talked to a voter who was considering supporting you, and then I asked what would it take for Biden, and he said, when I see the vice president talk about, oh, we can work with Republicans, he must be living in a different planet. Do you think you can work with Republicans, and if so, how, given these attacks from Trump and their strong allegiance to this president? 
Well, three things. One, if we can't unite the country, you're in deep trouble. Not a joke. The country, democracy is at risk. There's only one way you can govern in America, by consensus. And I know I'm the only guy in this race from the beginning saying we have to unify the country. I've done it before and I can do it again. It doesn't mean it's going to be a kumbaya moment, everybody grab, hold hands. But they say, I don't know this new Republican Party. I know it better than anybody. I've been the victim of attacks. They've gone after my only surviving son. They're telling lies about me. For example, today on the air that apparently the intelligence community is investigating Russia using bots to try to, to, to spread lies about me. Um, I don't know that even Trump knows that's happening. And so here's the deal. If we cannot bring the country together, we're in real, real, real trouble. And, but I think we can. And I don't mean that we, look, we have to win back the Senate. And I think we can do that if we have a nominee who can help people win in North Carolina and Georgia and, and Kentucky, and, excuse me, and, uh, and in, in Texas and Arizona. And we do that, you're going to see there's going to be enough Republicans that we can make some compromises on a bunch of things that matter. But we must unite the country. If we don't, we're in deep, deep trouble. And two final ones for you. Just what's your reaction to no candidates of color being on the next debate stage? Well, you know, I, I, I wish more people were on the debate stage. The fact is that, you know, if you notice, I get more support from uh, black and brown constituents than anybody in this race. That's where I come from. I come from the African-American community. That's, that's that my base. We have the eighth largest black population in the United States in my state. That's how I got started. And so I think there's some really qualified people. And, uh, but, you know, it's the way, uh, you know, the way the polls are running, the way things are moving. I, I'm not sure this whole debate setup has made any sense anyway to begin with. Um, but, uh, but it is what it is. But I tell you what, if I'm elected president, I promise you, my administration is going to look like America. And I read your book, Promise Me, Dad, and it was a very emotional story of, of your, your late son, Bo. Um, one thing that's top of mind is health care. And I remember you said in 2016 with CNN that Obama offered to pay for some of the medical expenses because you were considering selling your home in Delaware. And for a lot of people, they're struggling and they don't have that ability. Why is, why is an incremental approach building on Obamacare? There's nothing than incremental. Let's get this straight. Most profound change in health care in America has happened with Obamacare. I can make sure everyone, everyone is covered with health care. We can reduce the price of drugs. We can reduce the price, the cost of gold plans. We can limit deductibles to $1,000. And we can do it right away. We can get it done. And it covers everyone. And I promise you, when it passes, it's going to be revolutionary. You're going to see what happens. The idea you think we're going to pass a $30 trillion plan raising taxes on working class people and middle class people is just, at least Bernie's being honest about it. He's saying there's going to be a middle class tax increase. There's going to be an overall tax increase. We can get the same thing done quickly. Nothing incremental about it. It's getting it done. And sorry, Thank just, you, just sir, sorry, if I just had one. I just had to ask, sure. with Promise Me Dad, you, Bo made the promise, uh, or Bo said, Promise Me Dad, you're going to be okay. And you decided not to run for president. How are you emotionally 
ready right now? How have you been able to I didn't to answer your other question. Bo, the president didn't, I wasn't, Bo wasn't worried about whether or not he could, we could pay the medical bills. We paid the medical bills. He was able to pay the medical bills. He was a hero in the Army, came back after a year in Iraq with the Bronze Star, conspicuous service medal. He had insurance. That's not the point. The point was, what we worried about was that he was worried he'd have to leave his job. He was leave his job as Attorney General. And he had no savings. And I, the president was asking me, the only person I confided in about Bo's condition, because I had my responsibilities as Vice President, was Barack, who was a friend. And the prospect, the, and I said, he asked me how he's doing. I said, it's rough. He's worried that he had aphasia. He's starting to lose his ability to recall proper nouns. And, and I said, he's worried that he may have to resign as attorney general, and he has no savings. And I said, but I'm good. I'm good. I can sell the, I don't need the big house I have now. And, he sa and I was pointing out the president's friendship and generosity to Bo. He said, no, no, Joe, I have the money. I'll take care of it, and you can pay me back whenever. We didn't have to do that at all. But my generic point, the reason I wrote about it is to show you what a big heart and how close Barack was to my family and how much he cared about it. But we did not. Now, here's the one thing about Obamacare you talk about. Had we not passed Obamacare, the, what would have been able to happen with the insurance companies, they could say when they bow had a death sentence. It was just a matter of how long he'd live, not whether he'd live. And so they could have come in and said, you've run out of coverage. Suffer in peace the next five, seven, eight months that you lived. That's what Obamacare did, prevented that from happening. Guaranteed that 20 million people who didn't have insurance before had it. Guaranteed that, that you had over 100, 100 million people who in fact out there had pre-existing conditions and their kids couldn't be covered. That's what it did, nothing incremental. Nothing incremental about it. And the way we beat Republicans like we did in the year when they don't agree with us, we go out and beat them, not by questioning their motive, by questioning their judgment. I went into 24 states with over 65 candidates, and we won back the House. We won back other speakers. We ran, them, ran on them against taking down Obamacare. And that's where my bottom line is. We're adding to Obamacare, building on it. We can get it done now and not have to wait forever. Mr. Vice President, thank you so much for coming thank on you. the show. It was a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you. As we take off Biden's microphone and he gets ready to leave, we discuss a tool he used to cope in the aftermath of a tragic personal experience. When Biden's wife and daughter died in a car accident in 1972, Biden was told to keep a log of how he was feeling on a scale of 1 to 10. The purpose was to chart his progress after a family tragedy. Here's how he described it on CNN's Anderson Cooper last year. And my advice, it helped me anyway is two things. One, he said, get a piece of graph paper and mark every single day how you felt from one to 10 that day. Mm. Because you know you lost your brother when a thought would come to you after a while, you'd be down and just as down as the moment it happened. Mm. And he said, don't look at it for six months. Mark it on the graph paper, one to 10. The downs will be just as far down, but you know you're gonna make it when they get further and further and further and further apart you still get down. It never goes away. But it never goes away. But, but, that's when you know you can make it. That's when you know you can embrace the family members that are left. That's when you know that you can make a contribution. So before he left our interview, with the camera still rolling, Biden turned to me and reflected on the advice he had received. 
He wanted the last 10 seconds of what he said to be off the record, and we're respecting that. Here's how our conversation with Biden concluded. You know, you think about all the people, all the people have gone through what I went through and more, alone, alone, even if they had issues, alone. And they get up every single day, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, they get up every single day, put one foot in front of the other, and they're heroes, they're heroes. If you watch tonight, I'll make you bet. If you watch on, you know, all the stuff, you notice you guys aren't writing about my hugging women anymore because you figured out they're hugging me. And the reason they're hugging me is they walk up and grab me and say, I just lost my daughter, cancer, or my son's dying, or I have stage four. And what they're really, they're looking at, and I found out when after I lost my wife and daughter when, when I was your age, is that they're looking for reassurance. Is can I make it? Will I make it? They just want insurance, just like if you lost friends who committed suicide. I mean, it's just, it just, it just rips your heart out. And with Bo, the reason I wrote the book about Bo is to let people know how incredible he was, but also to let people know the way I, only way I've gone through these tough things is with purpose. You have to have purpose. And Bo's concern about Promise Me Dad, he was worried that I was going to withdraw. I was going to come in. I was going to go inward. And he wanted me to, he gave me, made me promise him that I would not do that. Not that I'd run for president, but that I would not do that. Thanks, Mr. Vice President. And with that, the interview with Joe Biden was over. We thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of California Nation. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find our show. Word of mouth also helps. I'll return to your podcast feed in a couple weeks with a new episode. For all the latest political news coming out of California, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Brian R. Anderson. That's B-R-Y-A-N-R-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. This is California Nation. I had a young man interview me a little bit earlier from uh, Sacramento Bee, and uh, he was very incredulous, great young interviewer. And he said, but, you know, do you really believe you cannot unite the country? If we don't, if we don't, we're in deep trouble. Our system only works by consensus, no matter what you think.